up all the same. That's right. So we started a new series last week on more of you. And I spent a great deal of time talking about my personal motivation in this. And again, this is my expectation and my hope is that as I continue to seek more of God and, and receive it, that you will receive the benefit of that, but also that it will inspire you to also want more of God for yourself. That's really the ultimate goal. And, and the key verse that I used last week was John 3.30. He must become greater, that I must become less. And we got this cool little prop up here from last... We didn't have it last week until Monday, but, but this is a scale to illustrate the fact that the way most of us function in our spiritual lives is that we, we're up here and God's down here, and we're just kind of trying to balance things. But, but in order to truly become the people God has called us to be and to, to do the things he's called us to do, I believe there needs to be a reversal. I believe that we must depreciate, that we must rise up in emptiness because in his weightiness, he becomes more, and then we're more viable to this world. But as long as we're the focus and he's just this little glimmer in our eyes, we're ineffective. And so it's my prayer, as it was with John the Baptist, that I would become less, that he can become greater in me so that I can do greater things for him. And this is, this is the struggle. This is hard because of our ego and our arrogance that gets in the way sometimes. So we must learn how to die to ourselves. For today, we're going to be talking about the power of God and, and seeking more power of God. And so I, the, I use this little prop just to illustrate, of course, that these things, these little tools here are ineffective if you don't plug into the power source, right? And, and so we all know that God is the power source. At least I believe we know that. Maybe in our day-to-day practice, we don't illustrate that. But that is the goal, is that we understand that God is the source of all power. And therefore, to do anything in this world beneficial, we have to connect to that power source. So I'm going to use several different verses. And I'd like for you to write these down because they're going to focus on different aspects of God's power. And then I'm going to try to make sense of all of this, at least how God has been talking to me about these things. In Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of suffering, of sharing in his suffering, sorry, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. So I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The second one, Ephesians 3, verses 15 through 19. Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So when it comes to the thought flow of more of God, I want more of him in my life, this is what the goal should be for each of us. 
I want to be filled with the full measure of God's fullness. Filled to complete and total capacity. The third one is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. I'm going to skip some of this and just kind of hit the highlights. We ought also to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is also increasing. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. So if we put all of this together, put it in a blender, mix it up, spit it out, we're going to find this, that power is the undercurrent by which all of these verses are connected. It's the undercurrent and the foundation by which we build upon such concepts as knowledge of Christ, knowledge of God, faith in God, our capacity to love not just God, but to love each other. All of this is grounded in this power source that is our foundation and our lifeline. So... Let's look at some definitions here. There is about 13 different words in the Greek language that can be translated as power. There is about 135 verses in the New Testament alone that use the word power. If you go with the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, you can get up to 365 total verses throughout the Bible that talk about power. And all of its different avenues, aspects, and, and it's, it's just mind-boggling. I tried to get through every verse, but God eventually gave me a reprieve and said, you don't have to study every one of them today. You don't have to wear out all the people today. Just give them a glimpse. You know, just hit and miss. Let them breathe a little bit. So here's a couple of the big ones. The first one is the word dunamai. This is the first word I ever learned that was connected to power, or dunamis. There's a lot of variations on this. In the Greek, it means to be able, to have an ability. That is power. If you have the ability to provide for your family, then you have the power to provide for your family. If you have the ability to pray for another person, then you have an element of power that enables you to pray for other people. If you have the ability to put money in the offering plate and to support the ministries of God's kingdom, then you have power at your disposal to invest in what God is doing around us. So this is huge. To be able to do anything illustrates an act of power that you don't deserve, that you did not generate on your own, but as a gift of God, you have had this ability. It also means to have power or strength. It might be a better definition. By virtue of one's own ability and resources. So you might say, well, I can lift 200 pounds deadlift or 2,000 pounds, whatever it may be. I don't know which one's better for you. Maybe 20 pounds is a stretch. But if you can do that, then you have the power to do so because you have the resources and the ability. And God, of course, is the one who gave you both. It also can be translated power, especially achieving power, intrinsic power, stuff that you're born with, either physical or moral. 
And it's always defined, oddly enough, in opposition to the contrary, to the weakness. So our power is usually defined individually by offsetting weakness, illness, depravity, immorality, unethical, all those types of things. If we can contrast it, then we have a certain element of power, and this is usually seen in a positive light. It also can mean to will, to will something to another person. To will something to another person gives them permission. It gives them an ability. It gives them the resources they need to accomplish something. It's also implied. Power which has been imparted by God is always the implication. If you have a power or an ability to do anything, you must give God the praise for it because he is the source. Now, in regards to God himself, dunamis means his mighty energy, his greatness, his omnipotence, his majesty. So these are just some of the words that don't come to quite close enough to giving a full description of who God is, but getting us close to the source. In the Greek word dunatos, which is a derivative of dunamis, it says that you are to be able to be strong, and it's exemplified with one phrase, I can If you can do anything, it's because of God's grace. Now, anytime you talk about power, the dunamis, you also have to talk about authority because the two go hand in hand, power and authority, authority and power. They just plug together very well. So you'll very seldom see the two separated from each other since God is the giver of all power and he is the source of all authority. So in the Greek word exousia, It means to grant permission or authority, power to do something. It combines the right to do something with the ability to do something, the right and the might. And it's always to be seen as entrusted power. Now, I know I'm wearing you out with this kind of stuff. Basically, here's the little thought thought flow that I put here. Power is always given by God. It's usurped by the devil It's returned to us at our salvation, and it's continually cheated from us as a result of our sinfulness. Now, let me give you a quick background of what this is. I know I've talked about some of these matters at at different times, but all of you haven't been privy to this. So for some of you, it might be a duplication. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had all the authority given to them to do whatever they wanted, just as long as they didn't eat from the one tree. But when the devil came around and started tempting them, they decided nobody can put limits on us. We can do whatever we want. An expression of power, right? Where did they get that source of power? They got it from God. He owned it all. He gave it to them, entrusted it to them, and they were called to be stewards of that authority and power that he entrusted to them. And so in the Garden of Eden, they violated the trust of that power and authority. And they brutalized it. By eating of the apple of the tree, which they were told not to do, they compromised themselves. And as a result, God took their authority and their power away from them and gave it to the devil himself. Sinfulness causes us to lose that which God has entrusted to us. Life, particularly, was lost that day. 
So for several thousand years, the devil owned all the power and authority over us because we're still weak in our flesh. We're still sinful people. And so he has been taunting us and manipulating us and abusing us and tormenting us ever since that day. But God's plan was to send a savior. When Jesus came into the world, he lived a life that was sinless, a life that was perfect. That's why Jesus would a couple times refer to the fact that he has no authority over me. The devil has no power over me. Well, how can you say that? Because he didn't have any sin. Because of our sinfulness, he has power over us to the point of death. That's why we're walking around scared all the time, because he has the power to do whatever he wants to us. But Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, a a perfect lamb for sacrifice. And when he died on the cross, he went to hell for three days to pronounce himself, to proclaim himself as victorious over sin and death. So what he did was, is he took the keys from hell, from, from the devil himself. He took the authority and the power back from the devil, which he possessed, and Jesus took it upon himself. And then he makes it available to each one of us that if we shall come to salvation, if we shall trust our lives with with him in his care, then he gives us back a certain, a certain portion of that authority and that power. But, but here's the crazy thing, and this is what God's trying to communicate to me, is because I've been struggling with this my whole life. I know you guys haven't because you're different than I am. But, but here's, the way it, here's the way it plays out in my life. I pray, I pray, I read my Bible, I study, and I, 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 I turn to God for strength, and I say, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. I have to preach on Sunday. And so the Lord comes alongside of me, and he strengthens me, and he forgives me, and he fills me with his spirit, and he gives me the power to do the job that he's called me to do. And so Sunday morning, I'm all up. I just, I just drill it to the wall, right? I do what God called me to do. I be whatever God calls me to be. I just do it all, right? And then on Sunday afternoon, I'm like, okay, God, you can leave me alone now. And not that I do something crazy that would get me in jail or anything, but, but I have anger problems. You know, I, I, have, I have faith problems. I have uh, lust problems, money problems, uh, all these types of things that everybody else has. And so what happens is, is that when I expose myself to that, I, I give the authority back over to the devil. So on Saturday night, God gives me grace. He gives me power. And on Sunday afternoon, I give it back to the devil. On Saturday night, he gives me grace and power. On Monday, I turn it over to the devil. And so I constantly am giving away what God gives me. I'm constantly giving away, which means I'm depleted all the time. I'm always starting from scratch every weekend. And God says, that's insanity. That's insane. Why do you keep giving the devil what he doesn't deserve? Well, God, it's called free will. Don't you, haven't you heard about it? Your grace is sufficient in all things. Why don't I send more so that you will give me more grace? It makes sense to me. That's what the Romans said. But what God has been working in me lately is this mindset. Why don't you just cut out the devil completely? And why don't you hold on to the power and authority that I give you? And then next week, I'll give you more power and authority. And now you got twice as much. I'm like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. I like that idea. But you, you have to basically do your best to stay away from sin, right? That's the problematic part of this. 
But this is what I'm after. I want more of God. I want him to be more prominent in my life. I want more of his love, his grace, his faith. I want more of his power in me. So how do I go about achieving that? Well, you do it through humility. We'll get to that in a minute. Let me share a couple other things. These are just a couple of wild thoughts in regards to this. If God is the author and the, the, the owner of all power, how did the devil get any to begin with? Well, because of free will, God had to give some element of power to him just in order to make it a fair fight. We give him our authority, we give him our power, just because of our free will, we choose to disobey God. So in the process, he gets stronger and stronger, right? And we get weaker and weaker. God is still God. God still owns all of that power, but he's allowing it to play out on earth. The power that he has given you, you get to decide what you're going to do with it. This is, this is one of the crazy things that popped in my head a couple nights ago, is, is that if you're in an in a abusive marriage, your spouse is basically trying to take your power and your authority away from you to keep it for themselves. So they, they abuse you, they physically assault you, they bully you, they treat you poorly because they want this power from you. So they're just kind of always trying to steal it from you. It's possible that your employer is trying to steal it from you. It's possible that, that people in the church are trying to, to manage you in such a way that, that you have to give them your authority. You see, the thing is, we talk about submission. The scriptures say to submit those who are in authority over you. Well, how did they get their authority? Well, we, we know from the, the New Testament letters that the people placed in authority were placed there by God. But then if we vote for them, then that means that we've given them some authority. We've given them some power to do the job that we've called them to do. And so we submit to them because we've empowered them over us to, to lead and to make decisions for us, hopefully, that would benefit us. But, but here's the other crazy thing. It's possible that a person in authority could get there without God's blessing. Because as long as there's a devil with power and authority, maybe that, that leader got their authority from him. Maybe we, we, we submitted to somebody blindly and we gave them all of our power and authority to, to rule over us and it was never theirs to begin with. And so they use that to torment us. They use it to afflict us. They use it to mislead us. This is just a crazy, uh, just a crazy world. This whole scenario is crazy. Power and authority, it just keeps shifting, but this is, this is earthly economics. If you have power and I want it, I will do whatever it takes to take it away from you. But in the church, it's supposed to be reverse that. It's supposed to be reverse. So, so those of us in authority and those in leadership, we submit to you. We lower ourselves beneath you to lift you up so that we can glorify God through you, not through ourselves. This is hard for us too, but this is what it's all about. And let me just share something from Acts here in chapter 4. 
In Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 22, Peter and John were out preaching. They were arrested for preaching Christ. They were put in jail. Finally, they released them from jail. And upon their release, they went back to their own people and reported to the chief priests and elders what had happened to them. And they had a little prayer meeting. It said in verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now check this out. They did, we're talking about Herod and those who put them in prison, they did what your power, God's power, and will had decided for them beforehand. God allowed those men to be put into jail for their faith, for their preaching. Why would God allow that? I don't know. Maybe God had this weird idea that if I, if I cause my people to suffer a little bit and they overcome that suffering, they'll be stronger in the long run. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out what God thinks. But he said, but then the prayer meeting broke out in verse 29. And so the people prayed this over those, those people in authority. Now, Lord, enable, enable. That means give them the ability, the ability to do stuff they can't do by their own strength. Give them the ability to speak your word with great boldness. Let me just tell you another translation for that is dunamis, which means power. Enable your servants, give them the ability to preach your message with power, with power. Boy, if I had 10 people praying for me, that I would be able to pray with more power. Man, just hold, you just, I can't even get, I just get too excited. They say this, stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Again, wouldn't it be awesome to have a bunch of people that prayed that for the leadership of the church, that we would have the ability and the power to not only cast out demons, but also to heal the sick and to perform miracles in the name of Christ. Wouldn't that be awesome? And it says in verse 31 that after they prayed this, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all spoke the word of God with dunamis, with power, with boldness. That's just crazy talk right there. Crazy talk. Let me take you to Genesis 31 for just a moment. Maybe a couple moments. I want to show you some other ways that this plays out. In Genesis 31, you have a relationship between Jacob and Laban. Jacob was a good guy. I mean, he's in the genealogy of Christ. He has to be a good guy, right? Jacob, he just sees this beautiful girl that he wants to marry. I think her name was Paige or some. No, it was, it was Rachel. Rachel. There's only one page. <laughs> no comment. But he sees this gorgeous girl, Rachel. He thought, you know what? That girl, hubba hubba, I want to marry her. I want to make her my own. That's the one for me. So he goes to Laban like any good boy would do and says, hey, dude, is it okay if I date your daughter? I want to marry her. And he says, sure, you can marry my daughter, Rachel. She's the apple of my eye. Sure, you can marry her but you'll have to work for me for seven years. 
piece of cake. After seven years, this is a good pickup line, he says, it was like a few days. Seven years, it was like a few days, a few moments. It was worth it. So he goes back to Laban. He says, okay, dude, I finished my term. Seven years. Can I have my daughter or your daughter? Not my daughter, your daughter. And he says, oh, well, no, you can't do that. Well, why not? Because you have to marry my oldest daughter first. You know, it always goes in order. You have to, the oldest daughter has to be married first. Since she's not married, you have to marry her first. And he says, okay, then, then can I marry Rachel too? And he says, after you work for another seven years. He's like, oh, boy, crazy. So he marries Leah, even though the scriptures, I didn't say the scriptures say she wasn't very attractive. But she was fertile. That's all that mattered in the kingdom, right? So he married her. He worked seven more years. He comes back to Laban. He says, okay, my, my, my father, he says, I have done my chores. Fourteen years I have worked. Can I now marry Rachel? Yes, you may marry Rachel. And so he marries. He's got both girls now, and he's, he's producing. And, and, and the crazy thing is, is that God is blessing everything he touches, and it's turning to gold. And even Laban is being blessed because of Jacob and because of God's blessing upon Jacob. And so a lot of things go on. Things are getting bigger and bigger. They're making more and more money. They're both growing more and more powerful because of the money and the possessions that they are obtaining. All right, so this is power. This is worldly power, but it's also a hint of godly power. So now we have a problem. Laban, uh, or, or Jacob wants to leave. He wants to take Rachel and Leah, and he, they want to leave. And so they're trying to work out the terms. How's this going to happen? Well, Laban continued to take advantage of him. Actually, in, in chapter 31, I think it was verse 19, maybe it's 29. Um, let me see. Just so you know, I'm not making this up. He says in verse 7, Your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. Okay? Then you skip on down to verse 29, and Laban says to Jacob, I have the power to harm you, but last night the God of your father said to me, Be careful, don't say anything to him, good or bad, just leave him alone. Interesting little turn of events. Laban says, I have the power to hurt you. Jacob says, he doesn't have the power to hurt me because that power belongs to God. Interesting play of words. But you see, this all happened because Jacob submitted to him. Jacob made Laban his master and worked for him. So who owned the authority? Who owned the power? Jacob maintained it because he submitted and he took it back on fair terms because he had the freedom to do so. Laban was trying to usurp the power and authority over him by stealing it and taking advantage of him and manipulating him, but God was not going to bless that. So I, I offer that as one reference. I offer Acts chapter 4 as a second reference, and you can see more about this great boldness concept. But here's the real craziness of it, and you'll have to go to Acts chapter 8 for this one. To receive this type of power from God, this perfect power, this all-surpassing power, to do amazing things in his kingdom for his sake, for his glory, we have to keep our hearts pure. We have to keep ourselves as close to God as possible because God cannot be mocked. And so in Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer is watching 
Peter and Philip, as they lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit, Simon the sorcerer thinks, I want some of that. So in other words, he wants more. That's the theme of the week, right? He wants more, more power. He wants more power from God, even though he doesn't know God. I want that kind of power. So he goes to Peter and he says, hey, why don't you give me this? Why don't you lay hands on me so that I can go around laying hands on other people? And he gets a little bit of a rebuke here. Peter and John replied, I hope I'm in the right chapter here. Nope, I'm not. Sorry. We'll go back a little bit. There it is. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them. They received the Spirit. When Simon saw this, he said to them, he offered them money for it and said, Give me also this ability, this power, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit too. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before the Lord. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your hearts. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captured or captive to sin. So here's the bottom line. Most of us desire more power from God. Pastors at the top of the list. If there's one thing a pastor wants, he wants more power. Not to control and manipulate his people. We're not talking about negative power. We're talking about the positives. I want to be able to have more people in the seats. I want to see more miracles so that, in a way, I can be glorified as well as God. I want my name to be great and God's name to be great. I told you before, I think, well, this is probably years ago. You probably forgot. Tony Campolo had a struggle with this early in his ministry. He's a professor, probably retired at uh, Eastern University in Philadelphia. Tony Campolo had a struggle, and he was praying, and God said to him, Tony, you're going to have a very difficult time in ministry if you're going to try to convince the world that I am great and that you are great in the same sermon. It was very convicting to him and one that caused him to to just nosedive into humility. Not false humility, but true, genuine humility. And that's what we're up against. If you want to be a better Sunday school teacher, you want to be like the greatest Sunday school teacher ever, you don't do it by manipulation. You don't do it by, by working magic. You don't do it by getting them to like you. You do it by humbly submitting to the Lord and embracing the, the, the humility that comes with servanthood. And you promote all of those around the table and you promote all of those regardless of their level of knowledge of the Bible or their, their, their desire for righteousness. You just serve them and you promote them and you glorify God in them And he just might, in your humility, he might just shift the scale a little bit in his direction. And if you can persistently pursue that humility, it might shift in huge increments. God might be the most magnificent part of your life, and you might be the lowliest, which is where you need to be if you're going to do kingdom work. It just might work that way.
You know, I told, I told some of you the story of going to Haiti and seeing the little baby girl about two years old, just black as can be with her blue eyes. And knowing she was blind, I prayed for her and prayed for her that God would heal her eyes. And I left that place not seeing the byproduct of that and thinking to myself all the way back to America, I wish I would have had the power to do something for that little girl. And God would still talks to me and says, you don't know what I did or didn't do that day. Maybe that's none of your business. You know, there's probably been times you prayed for people. And you say, I've been a Christian my whole life and God didn't answer. My mom still died. My father still died. My friend still died. Why didn't God answer my prayer? You don't know what he answered. We can't equate power with success. Power and humility is probably the greatest success any of us can have achieved. And so understand that when I say I want to be, I want to have more of God in my life, it doesn't mean that I want to be more. It means I want God to be more so that the things I do for him are done right in the kingdom and done with the right motives and the right level of purity and the right level of humility because I want people to know Christ. I don't give a crud if they got to know me. I want them to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want them to have hope in him. I want them to have faith in him. I want them to trust in him. I want to see them love because of Christ loving in them. I want to see a difference in this world, and I know it can happen, but it can only happen if we just dig under the surface and humble ourselves and quit thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. This has been a struggle with me my whole life. God says, get out of the way. Let me do it. No, God, I can do this myself. I can do this. God says, you need to ask somebody else to do it for you. No, God, I don't trust them. I'll do it myself. Why are you doing this? Because I'm the pastor. No, you're doing this because you're prideful and you're arrogant. And you want everybody to be thankful for you, not for me. I said, okay, God, I'm done praying for now. Until you start saying what I want to hear, we're done with this. I don't know what else to say. But we have a God who has so much power at his disposal. He wants to give it to us. But only if he knows we're going to do it, use it to glorify his name. Let's pray. Father, you are truly amazing. We love you, Lord. We're just scratching the surface of your depth and, and width and height of your love and grace and power. Help us, Lord, just to have the desire, the hunger, and the thirst for you. Everything else will fall into place. We pray that you'll pour your spirit upon this entire place of worship, that you'll continue to affect our lives and that you'll continue to infect our worship and our evangelism. Lord, humble us. For the sake of your kingdom, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing. Um, the rest of us are going to go get ready for baptism. If any of you feel the need to come up and pray, I'm sure we have Wayne and, and Roger can pray for you. Eric can pray for you. We have people that will pray for you. If there's anything that you need, come and let them help you. Um, let's sing.
Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in love, yes, there's power in love. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in love. There is power, power, unworking power in the love of the Passion and pride, there's power in blood, oh, power in blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide, there's wonderful power in blood. There is power, power, what working power. I want to read to you a couple of verses about the baptism of Jesus. From Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, beginning with verse 13, says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized to you, by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he 